0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from Haven Baptist Church. Our prayer is that God would use what you are about to hear to help you grow into a totally committed follower of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning, page 429. If you're using the Bibles that are provided there by the church under the seats in front of you and we're studying Nehemiah, we're returning to our study and about people that God uses. Now for those who hadn't been here or you're new, or maybe you hadn't been in a while, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. He's a Jew but he's there. The Jews are under captivity and he's the cupbearer to the king and he really has a pretty good situation. But he hears about the trouble in Jerusalem. The city had been destroyed 140 years before and Uh, the walls were still down, the city was in disgrace, the people of God were in distress and reproach, and it was just a terrible situation. And on top of all that, that caused God's name to be dishonored. And by the way, when God's people are in a terrible situation because they disobey God, God's name is dishonored still by that. And that is what was going on. And so Nehemiah gets a burden for this, and he knows he has to do something about it. So the ultimate end of Nehemiah's story is, is that he goes back to Jerusalem and he leads the people to rebuild that wall and ultimately to be part of restoring that city for God's glory. And we've been learning some things about the people that God uses, some traits of Nehemiah and some traits of these other people. We'll see some today. And a couple of things we've learned. God uses ordinary but trustworthy people. Some of us think we've got to be extraordinary, we've got to have great skills, but God uses ordinary people who are trustworthy, people he can trust, people others can trust. Nehemiah was a man, he had fears, he had doubts, but God used him because he pressed through and he he was a trustworthy person. God uses available people. Nehemiah's life was pretty good, but when he heard of this situation, he made himself available to God. Most people aren't available to God. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We have too many other things. God uses people who will make themselves available. A the third thing we learned was God uses people of faith. People who trust Him. Who will pray and seek Him. People who will take risk when God says to step out. They have the faith to step out into something new. Maybe something unknown. It's a risk as far as... The, the, the world sees them from this earthly vision, but they have a heavenly vision. They know that God's going to meet them and take care of them. God uses people of faith. Today we're going to learn a, another trait of people that God uses. God uses and blesses people who are willing to move forward. People who are willing to move forward. What I mean by that is people who are willing to take the steps necessary to live the life God has for them. People who are willing to take the necessary steps to live the life God has for them. And God has a life for you. God has a plan for you. Remember he told him in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. God has a plan for you. But you and I have to be willing to take the necessary steps. That means these are people who are willing to move forward from their past. They do not allow their past to hold them down or hold them back. They refuse to live in the past if their past is one of sin and sorrow and suffering and things that they're ashamed of they move forward by faith into forgiveness and grace and into a new life that's found in jesus second corinthians 5 17 paul says if any man be in christ if anyone be in christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new how does it become new somebody move forward into christ that's how we have new life They move forward from their pain. Sometimes pain can debilitate us, not just physically, but in every way. Our pain can keep us stuck. But they move forward through their pain and past their pain. They move forward from their problems. It'd be be great if life had no problems, but every life has problems. Every person has problems that they're dealing with at one time or another. And actually, you will always have some problems. Some will be greater than others. But they do not allow their problems to keep them from being what God wants them to be. They move forward and obey God's word. Some people have to move forward from their successes and their pleasures. Some people are so caught up in their successes that they are stuck And haven't taken the step God wants them to. We told you a story about a man named Kaz McCaslin who had a great ministry. He started this basketball ministry, this ministry in his church. And it grew and it grew and it grew. But God told him, I want you to step forward and do something greater. And it became Upward Sports. And 500,000 kids were enrolled in Upward Sports this year. Because somebody decided that God said to move forward for me. Was to move past my personal success into what God has for me. So, today you are at a, maybe at a crossroads in your life, and you need to make some decisions and step forward. Today we're going to learn what it takes. And Nehemiah was a man who led these people to take a step forward and overcome their current situation, to move out of their current situation to the place that God has for them. Are you willing to do that this morning? If God calls and says, I want you to take this step of faith, are you willing? What about us as a church? Are we willing? God says, I want to do something new. I, I want to totally redo some things here. Are we willing? Are we going to hold on to the past? Hold on to our comfort? We're going to find out these people in Nehemiah's day when he got back there, they, they were pretty settled. Nehemiah's going to unsettle them so they can be what God wants them to be. Nehemiah chapter 2. You have your Bibles. Let's begin reading in verse number 11, Nehemiah 2, 11 through 18. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his perfect an infallible word. Amen. So how do we move forward? How, how do we move forward and what's it going to take? Well, two things I want to show you from this text. People who move forward are people who face up. People who face up. Nehemiah travels back the, somewhere between eight and 900 miles from Persia to Jerusalem. Now that was probably... A 2 months journey for Nehemiah. Can you imagine? They would travel several days. They'd have to rest a day because they were own animals. It took him roughly two months is what scholars say. And when he gets there, the first thing he does is, well, he rests. He tells us he was there for three days. And then he arose and began his private investigation of what was going on. He had been told of how bad things were. But after his three days of resting, he goes out at night and he inspects the whole situation. And then he gives us, really... A detailed account of the route that he took and if we were uh, really aware of the geography of that time we would know the direction that he went he went to this gate first and we could just trace him and he's laying that out historically so people can see the route that he took but when he, he gets there and he says the walls were so so burned with fire the gates were burned with fire and there was so much rubbish it got to the point my animal could not even travel under me it was so bad now, he kept what he was doing to himself. Here's a good lesson. Because he didn't want to tell the wrong person who might sabotage his effort. You know, loose lips, sink ships. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.7, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Nehemiah knew the time and he didn't tell anyone. What was Nehemiah doing? He was facing up to what was facing him. He knew God had sent him to go back there and do it. So he looks things over. He's facing up to what's facing him. And then he gathers the people together, which wouldn't have been very hard to do. Nehemiah shows up. He's got an entourage from the king. He comes to town. Everybody would have noticed him. You know how it is in your neighborhood. Somebody new comes to the town the neighbors all notice the people whose noses stick out their windows. You know that. And so all the nosy people knew Nehemiah was in town. And then they, talk, all, then they gossip, of course, nosy people. So they told everybody. Nehemiah knew that everybody knew he was there. So he goes out at night. Then he gathers all these people together and he, he tells them. He makes a public declaration. And what he tells them is, folks, it's time to face this problem. It's time to face up to the problem. What do we mean by face up? It means to acknowledge reality. To face up to things, to face up to problems, means to acknowledge reality. He had to lead these people to acknowledge their situation. That's the job of a leader, by the way. If you're the leader in your home and your home's got a problem and you want, you ignore it and deny it, then uh, you're going to have that problem. You're going to continue to have that problem. Somebody has to acknowledge we have a problem. Nehemiah says to them there in verse number 17, Then I said to them, he gathers all these people and he says, You see the distress that we are in. Some Bible translates it trouble. You see the trouble that we're in. Some translate it bad situation. Let me clarify. This is how we say it in the South. You see the mess that we're in? We're in a mess. This is a mess. How how do people get saved? They face the mess that they're in. See, you will get saved when you face, the, you face the reality that until you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, your sins have separated you from God. And not until then. You can have nice thoughts about God. You can like church. You can like this person or that person at the church. You might even like the preacher. Maybe. Maybe. But until you face the fact that your sins personally have separated you from God and the only way to be right with God is to come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. But when you do, when you face that reality and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. You have to face your reality. How does a Christian get right with God? How does a Christian who knows their heart is cold and their faith is weak and their life is away from God, how do they get right? They have to acknowledge it. They have to face that they're not where they need to be, they're not where they used to be, they're not where they want to be. How does a church ever get revival? Somebody somewhere starts facing that they need it. That's the only way it comes. How, do a mar- how does a marriage get saved? Or a marriage becomes strong. Somebody has to acknowledge we need it. Somebody has to acknowledge we need help. Someone has to acknowledge. And usually, to be honest with you, it starts with one. But before it's ever saved, both of them have to acknowledge it. If there's ever going to be a change, both people have to acknowledge it. So the truth is, most people won't face reality though. Most people don't like reality. Now we like reality TV shows. But that's as far as some of us get with reality. We don't like to face reality. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. One, often it's painful, isn't it? Sometimes it hurts. It hurts to face the mess that we're in. It hurts to face the situation that we're in. It's painful. We we don't want to think about it. We want to live our lives and not have to deal with it day after day after day. So it's painful. But secondly, because we know it's going to require something of us. We know that deep down inside, our part of the problem, I mean, if, it's, if we have a part in it, we've got to deal with it. It means change. Change is hard. It might mean forgiveness. We have to forgive someone that we don't want to forgive. It might mean hard work to build back something that we've torn down or something that's been torn down. And it takes hard work to face our reality and make a difference. And it's hard. So we would rather live in denial. And ignore it. Hope it goes away. How's that working? Matter of fact, listen. The people that cause the problem themselves can go away. And the problem can still remain. There are people today who have problems with dead people. The person's not there anymore. But they still have a problem with this person. So we have to face reality. We have to acknowledge it is what it is. The second thing. To acknowledge reality often requires a truth speaker. Why did Nehemiah, think about this, why did Nehemiah have to gather these people together and point out this situation? Why did he have to do that? Didn't these people know this? Well, of course they knew it. They had been there a lot longer than Nehemiah had, right? They lived there, they saw it every day, but you know what? They had gotten used to it. They had gotten used to it and they had actually accepted it. And the truth is, is that we're in the situations we're in sometimes because we have accepted it. When you share the gospel with someone and you tell them Jesus loves them and he died for them, they need to hear that truth because they've accepted living apart from him for far too long. Churches need to hear that they can be more for God and do more for God. Christians need to hear God has more for you than where you are and and what you are and God will do something for you. But we need someone to speak the truth to us. This is why we need accountable relationships, Christian relationships, people that love one another and we can speak the truth in love to one another and we can help one another out and someone could come to me who I know loves me and tell me that I need, to, I need some help in this area, I'm slacking in this area, I could do better in this area. We need that in the church, but we don't want it. We need true speakers because we get so used to our distress and our trouble that it just becomes part of our life and we ignore it it becomes part of who we are now some of you you younger people are not going to believe this but there was a time when TVs came in wooden consoles <laughs> listen and and they didn't hang on the walls and they didn't sit in an entertainment center they sat on the floor and they had legs or feet and they sat on the floor and a big one was like 26 inches, right? And I was back there today in the, in the, uh, the sound booth. We got, a, we got a bigger screen in the sound booth for the computer than we had in our living room when I was a kid. It ticked me off. That's been 40 years ago, man. I got ticked off about it retroactively. Everybody else can do it. Why can't I, right? And they had remote controls. It was called me. Remember this? My dad would holler from the back. He'd say, hey, Donald, come here. i say, yeah. he said, change that channel. So you'd go over and change the channel. Remember that? And he'd say, hey, adjust these rabbit ears. And if you got really good, he might say, hey, hold that rabbit ear and let me watch his show. Because he got real good reception through you. No, my dad didn't do that. But I think he was tempted to a couple of times. And so you'd have that TV and then that TV would go out. And they would call what was known as a TV repairman. Now, that creature did walk the earth. I have evidence. I've seen him. And they would come to your house. Remember what they'd do? And they'd take the back off your big wooden case TV. And they'd work on it. And you're hoping, man, that they fix it. Because if they don't, you know what they have to do? They had to put your TV in the back of his truck and take it away. <gasps> what? <gasps> People there are like, what? That's like That's like a... A torture—that's like a torture camp—to take your TV. Walk, your TV drove off, so you hoped he could fix it because it, I mean, our TV was gone like a month one time. I mean, listen, there was no Amazon around to get us that bulb. <laughs> so, but what would happen if your parents didn't have the money, or they just didn't want to take the month to lose their TV? What they would do is remember this: this is what my parents did. They'd get the TV from the back of the bedroom if you were lucky enough to have one and they set it on top on top of that tv now some of you millennials like good night man a tv's that thick how do you set something on top of it no this thing was this big man listen I think people have actually used their tvs for caskets later on they just took the center out and just used that thing they were so big remember And so they would set that TV on top of the other TV. So all of a sudden, now listen, you had like a 13-inch TV or a 19-inch TV. People have 19-inch TVs in the bathroom in America now. Some of you are like, no, I don't. I got a 32-inch in my bathroom. (laughs) Right? Some of you are guilty. You're like, yeah, it's me. And I was complaining, it's too small. So... They put that TV on there, and you know what happened? At first, you're like, Oh man, this TV, like it's been it's too small, but a couple of weeks would go by. And guess what? You're sitting in front of it, you don't even think about it. You're watching that 13 inch TV from across the room. It was on it was snowy anyhow, because you had rabbit ears, so you didn't know any better. And then somebody would come visit. And the first thing they say is, Hey, what's wrong with your TV? And what would you say? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta call the TV repair man. And what had happened? You done got used to that 13-inch TV. You done got used to it. It was on top of it. Your other TV became your entertainment center. Man, actually, my grandmother one time just put, she put like a tablecloth over her TV and set her other TV on top of it and covered that TV and made it look all nice and put flowers on it and everything and she didn't want people asking. You get used to it. This is the way we are about things in life we just get used to it. We get used to not being all God wants us to be. We get complacent. We get satisfied. We get preoccupied. Proverbs 132 says, for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. We can get lazy and complacent spiritually and somebody has to speak to us. Maybe a spouse has to say something. Maybe a parent has to say something, or even a son or a daughter has to say something. Maybe a a, a Christian has to say something to us. Maybe a pastor has to say something. We come and we hear something from God. Jesus spoke to his churches this way. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we read about the church at Sardis. Jesus spoke to them. Look at these words. He says, I know your works... That you have a name that you are alive. That's the reputation. You have a, we stay this passage back in the fall. Your reputation is that you are alive. But you are dead. The reality is that you're dead. This is him speaking clear to these people. Everybody thinks you're alive. But here's the real deal. You're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. And that are ready to die. That's the remedy. Do something with what I'm telling you because I've not found your works perfect before God. Before anything changes, we have to face reality. And oftentimes we need someone to say, this isn't right. This isn't good. We have to do better. We have to change. Folks, you can move forward by faith into what God has for you. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you today that it's going to be easy, that it's just going to you snap a finger, you say you believe, and all the problems go away. No, it's a faith walk. It's a fight, the good fight of faith. It's lay hold of the promises of God. It's take up the, the sword of the Spirit and the, the, the breastplate of righteousness and put on the helmet of salvation. Why? Because you've got to move forward, and it's not always easy. But by God's grace, you can. The second thing is not only does God use people who move forward, who face up, People who move forward face up, but secondly, people who move forward step up. Step up. They take action. Now, facts are our friends, and uh, they're great, but you can't just collect facts. You have to act on facts, and Nehemiah is going to call them to act. Look at the second part of verse 17 there. He says, you see the distress that, that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in waits, and its gates are burned with fire. Now, Nehemiah could have just pointed out the problem and said, there it is. This is a mess. Notice he didn't just do that. He said, Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. Nehemiah gave him a call to action. It's not it's 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 not good enough folks just to tell everybody there's a problem. We also have to point out there's a solution that there is help, and we have to take steps. Nehemiah, notice, he had only been in the city a few days, but he's identifying with them. He says, you see the mess that we're in? Come let us rebuild. He didn't say, you see the mess that you're in, and why don't you get up and take care of it? No, he identified with them. He had prayed for them this way, and he said, I'm here to help, and I'm going with you. And listen, if you've got a problem in your family, you've got to come together. This is our problem, and we have to work together and pray together or whatever it takes. And there are times when we need someone to call us to action. We need preachers in America today to stand up and call the church to action. That are afraid that if we preach too hard or we point out too clearly things, that, that people will leave and people won't come back. And we need one who will call us to repent and seek the Lord. We need people who believe the Word of God. Preachers who believe that God can make a difference through His Word. Second Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when it's popular... And when it's not popular. When it's convenient. And when it's inconvenient. Timothy be ready. When they're applauding you. Or when they're firing you. Preach it. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort. With all patience. Long suffering. And teaching. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort. We need preachers who will stand and call us to get up and act for God. We need brothers and sisters and others around us who will call us. And the church is so afraid to exhort one another on to love and good works. We're so afraid to challenge one another and say, let's step up. We can do better. We can do more for God. We can grow closer to God. We can grow closer to one another. And we're so afraid to do that. There's a story. In the Old Testament, there was a famine in the land. And the Syrians had taken the city of Jerusalem and uh, there were some men, they were leperous men, and they were about to die of starvation. And so they said, listen, they said, we might as well do something about this. And, and this, the Bible says this, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? They looked at one another and said, listen, why are we just sitting here until we die? Listen, you could put this over most churches. Why are we sitting here until we die? You know what they did? They said, listen, if we go to the Syrians and they kill us, we're going to die. If we sit here, we're going to die. So let's just go. And maybe they'll take us captive and they'll feed us. We know what God did. They went to that city. God sent a spirit of fear upon the Syrians. They left everything in the camp, food, all the equipment, everything. And those men got all of that. Why sit here till we die? The church needs people to look at one another and say, why sit here till we die? Why, why uh, Why do we... Spend all our time entertaining ourselves till we die. Let's get busy about serving Jesus. I told you a few weeks ago about my wife when I told her I was called to preach, and I'm sure you're going to remember this, and I'm sure those of you who went and t- reminded her that I said that, thank you very much. Uh she she needed to know uh that, you know, that um she uh she told me when I told her I was called to preach, she told me I was crazy. And rolled over and went to back to sleep, and then she drug her heels. Later on, when I was uh, going forward to be called to preach, well, a few years later, four or five years later, uh, I was. God had called me to go to school. God had called me. I knew clearly God had called me to, to pack my family and leave and go to school, take my family to, and tell me where to go, he showed me where to go the Baptist College of Florida in Graceville, Florida to take my family and go and so we were in the preparation of that and some churches in the local community started calling me want me to preach, they were without a pastor and these churches were what's known as bivocational per- churches, the pastor has a job and he, and he also pastors the church, they're not part time churches they're bivocational and did you know there's more Southern Baptist churches that have bivocational pastors than have full time pastors So they work, and they pastor, and there were several churches calling me, and and I got to thinking, well, you know, I I could go to school. Uh, At that time, it would have been distance learning. I probably would have actually had to write the stuff, not type it on a computer. It wasn't as, the the Internet wasn't, I wasn't using it as much. And so I started thinking about that, and some of these churches were talking to me about coming to be their pastor, and I was looking for an easy way out, because it was hard to move your family. I didn't have any money didn't have a place to live, didn't have a job. That's just how God wants it, by the way. Listen, if you're, if you're facing something that's really hard, you say, there's no way. That just may be exactly what God wants. If you've got it all taken care of, it may be your will, not his. So I was talking to my wife about it and she looked at me and said, you're just settling. You're just settling for less. You know what God's called you to do. She spoke the truth to me. She called me to action. And to be honest with you, that was hard on her. But she spoke the truth, and that's the reason I moved forward, because she spoke the truth into my life. She called me to action, a truth speaker. We need them, and we need to be called to action. There's also Nehemiah, not only called him to action, but the casting of vision. He says to them, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. That we may no longer be a reproach. They and their city was a reproach to God, to his name, and to his glory. But Nehemiah knew something. He knew his vision was from God. But he also knew this, that he couldn't do it alone. Some of you came forward a few weeks ago. when we, 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 we One of our messages we talked about, do you have a vision? And I want to pray for you. And I don't know how many of you, 20 or 30 of you came forward. And we prayed over you had a vision. Let me tell you this. If you have a vision from God, praise God. But it's not a a single vision. It must be a shared vision. Somebody has to help you. My wife helped me. God's call on me was to go. And she shared in that. And that's the reason I went. Some of you trying to do things, you can't do it alone. You got to have some help. You got to have some people come alongside of you. You got to have some people. Nehemiah, when he goes to these people, if they had rejected that vision, it could have died right there. But instead, God used them. What Nehemiah was telling these people is, listen, we'll rebuild these walls and God's going to be glorified. And we're going to fulfill our destiny for why we're on the earth at such a time as this. Think about this. A hundred and forty years had passed. And that city and that wall lay in ruin. Nehemiah goes back there. He gathers these people. And from that point on, 52 days later, they had that wall rebuilt. That group of people was there for such a time as this. God's raised up a people right here for such a time as this. Such a time that God wants to use us for his glory. God used these people. And they they rebuilt Jerusalem. Isaiah 62 says this, verse 7. This is our prayer verse that we used for our watchman prayer ministry years ago. And give him no rest. Keep praying until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That was God's glory. That was God's plan. Nehemiah and these people were part of it. Let me share, share with you, again, a little vision that I have for Haven Baptist Church. I've been studying, going back and looking at all I've preached to you for 17 years. Not all of it, but, but two main themes have come out. I shared this with our leaders Sunday night. Two main themes. If we can do any two things, this is it. Seek God and make disciples. Seek God and make disciples. Nehemiah called these people to rebuild this wall. Fulfill God's glory. I'm calling you to seek God. That means to pray, to pray, to call on the Lord. Thank you for those of you who attended that prayer meeting a few weeks ago. And when we have this prayer meeting here next uh, two Sunday nights from now, I'm asking you to come. Listen, prayer meetings are not a call to ignore, to stay home. Prayer meetings are a call to get serious about God. We need to pray. Folks, can you not look around and see? I've said this a 100,000 times. I, I just feel like I repeat myself all the time. But can you not look around and see that our community, our city, our region, our nation needs Jesus? We, we've got to have the Lord. I'm asking you to come and let's seek God. Let's lay everything aside and let's rebuild the walls of prayer. Make disciples. We've got to evangelize and tell the people about Christ and then teach them to obey what He's commanded us. And listen... To make a disciple, you have to be one. You can't make a disciple if you're not one. It's not not possible. Now, you can tell somebody, invite them to church, and they can get saved. But as far as teaching them to obey what he's commanded, if you're not obeying what he's commanded, you're not going to help them obey it. If you're not walking with him, you're not going to help them walk with him. I've told you this before. People who need the Lord need people who have the Lord. Christians who just started in the Lord need Christians who have been walking with the Lord. They need somebody to walk with them through it all. You can't do it if you're not willing to walk with them yourself. If we're willing just to play church, that's what we'll have, play church. We'll have things that look like church. My little granddaughter over there has got this little kitchen in our living room and all sorts of other stuff. It's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. But she's got these little play kitchens. She gets her and rattles pots and pans. It's good. It's cute. I like it. But you know what? That's what church is like. we got stuff that looks like the real deal. But we're not making disciples as we ought to. we got to be disciples before we can make them. Nehemiah called them to action. The last thing is this. The commitment to act. Notice what happens in verse 18. Nehemiah tells them about the good hand of God that is on him. He starts testifying. God's been with me. God opened the door. God changed the king's heart. The king paid for all of this and provided for all this and protected me. And he's he's spoken to me. and, And here it is. And the Bible says they made first a public commitment. They said, this is out loud in public. So they said, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. They committed to act and they made a public commitment Public commitments are important. You know why you get baptized publicly? So you can make your commitment public. There, you shouldn't be baptized, at least in our culture for sure, with no one around. He doesn't want us to be ashamed of him. He wants us to testify. We join the church publicly. We, we share our faith publicly. They made a public commitment. Let us rise up. Let's go. We can do this. And then they made a practical commitment. Verse 18 says, And they set their hands to this good work. A public commitment is to be joined with a practical commitment. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it, isn't it? I've told you many times through the years, there's some people who've joined the church who need to join the church. The church is doing something. The church is going somewhere. The church is about something and you can be around it and you can sit in it and not be part of it. Here's some commitments, practical commitments, a practical commitment to be saved. Today, if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sins and said, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I don't know that I'd go to heaven when I die, but I want to. Today, you can make that commitment. Maybe your time is to, it's your commitment to join the church. Some of you are saved and you're prepared to join the church and you need to join and serve God here. Some of you need to join a ministry. You have gifts and talents and abilities and God wants you to serve and you need to serve. Some of you need to start giving. You've not given to the Lord. You need to be faithful to give because God makes rich the generous soul. Some of you need to be willing to live the vision of seeking God and making disciples. Seriously, getting serious about your walk with God, seriously trying to make disciples, make an impact for Christ. It may be with one person. I could tell you story after story after story of the one person who reached one person, and that one person God used to reach hundreds and thousands, sometimes even millions. Are we the people who are ready to move forward? to act differently. Some of you need to walk away from your past that's holding you back and by faith come to Jesus. Some of you need to take the step of faith to overcome your problems and your pain and seek the Lord. Today, you're ready to move forward in whatever area of your life it is, our God is able to help you and meet you.